like in their emblem, like their national emblem. Mozambique, I know it's one. That's another Mozambique. If I can look at, but there's another country in there. But literally, the AK is just like culturally is important. Me and my friend had like a conversation about it like a few weeks ago, and he's like, "No, the AR is better." And I said, "The AR is better. Not gonna lie." But the AK is honestly the most prominent weapon in the world. It's cheaper to build. Yeah. It has different. It's been copied so much world. Yeah. It's been produced everywhere. You could get an AK for like fifty dollar a pop in Africa. Yeah, and you That's just crazy. gotta know a guy who knows a guy. That's he crazy. just get you an AK. Yeah. While meanwhile in America, I can't freaking find an AK that's more than that's less than seven hundred bucks. I'm pissed. I think uh, you said like an AK is the gun of the rev- uh, like a revolution, but is also the gun of like violence in Africa. I think that you could just full stop it. The AK is the weapon, and then that's <laughs> just that's it. It's. Just- <laughs> it's a- the weapon, like, the weapon of blank. <laughs> Fill in the blank. I mean, no, there's the two. There's a common trope in saying in Africa, and it's like yeah. when shit hits the fan, you grab your AK, and then also the second common is like you run through the bush. Essentially, whenever you want to be a revolutionary fighter or you want to be a rebel, you got to get your AK and you got to run through the bush. And every conflict has been essentially this guy got pissed. He didn't get political representation, or his people is being underrepresented, or the government is being corrupt. So he went and hid in the bush, him and his rebels, they've been hiding in the bush, yada, yada, and attacking the government, harassing previous insurgencies. And that's just been like a common trope amongst a lot of rebellion that's been happening in Africa, like conflict. Guy gets pissed, gets an AK from the black market or from whatever, yada, a couple of mutinies, they go hide in the bush. Then they attack the capital city a few years later or whatever, take over or they don't take over. It's a common trope. Secret, secret, uh, big brain society plans. That's why big businesses have been killing forests and like green life so that nobody can revolt against them anymore. <laughs> Basically, like I'm sick of these guys going to the bush. Let's burn down. <laughs> Climate change and global warming is all a ploy so that nobody can revolt ever again. Never again. They're like, yeah. Essentially, that's why people, they're like, oh, you know, all these eco-terrorists are happening because yeah. they're running to the bush. But essentially, that's what's been a common trope in Africa. And it's like, meh, they're going to the bush. So. I mean, that's the same thing in South America, too, as well as, uh, I mean, even the United States, the old, the, the, the first revolution was grabbing your muskets and running into the forest and picking people <laughs> off. And it's just like, well. One by one. Yeah. It's, it's a great insurgency policy. I think the freaking Viet Cong did that. It's like, grab your... AK that given to us by China and the Soviet Union and run through the jungle. It's like, let me go to the least place where I know I can hide away from this powerful army that I know I can't beat on a conventional aspect. Let me bring unconventional weapon uh, strategies and beat them. So let's go to the bush, guys. I think that's like the one thing that if we ever had like an alien invasion, mm-hmm. like and our like global militaries like collapse or whatever. Like that was the one thing I remember there was a show about it on TNT and my dad and I watched it and it was just like, that's it's the same strategy. Like we know the terrain better than anybody else mm-hmm. and we're just going to fight them and then run into the terrain and then fight them mm-hmm. and then run into the terrain. It's like, it's like, as long as earth exists, that will never get old. That would never. It's just like, essentially you can beat, even the Taliban has been, that was their strategy. Yeah. Uh, against the United States is like, we can't beat you in the cities. So they abandoned the cities and they ran into the mountains uh, and the steps. It's like, hey, can't beat them. Yeah. So let's go to these mountains. And so the Tara, there was one of the most famous battles was the Battle of Terabora. Essentially, we're just shelling the shit out of this mountain and stuff like that. And we think, you know, we're damaged the Taliban significantly, but we found all these multiple like cave system and strategy. And we're just like, sheesh, this is going to be a long war. Yeah. And stuff like that. I'm like, so- I'm, 
that's actually like a decent segue into the show is like resourcefulness and like yeah. the human condition to be resourceful, uh, which I, I think like, I, I kind of like sped through a rewatch of this this weekend. Oh, so, too, man. like I'm trying to remember like, like all the motives on it. Cause yeah. when I used to watch it, yeah, it was just like, Hey, this is conflict. This is violence. Let me yeah. watch this. But I was like growing up and getting Guns, older. Yeah. Like, it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you just watching. I'm just like, that's actually symbolism behind this show and everything like that. I was like, so yeah. I'll try my best to remember all the symbolism and everything with the show. So I'm glad you actually gave me that document. So it's kind of jogging a lot of my memories back. And so there's actually common tropes within this show that I'm watching that's been reading this. And I'm just like, huh. So it steals a lot of, you know, the common drama and, like trash yeah. national criminal tropes and stuff. Which I like the one I liked about the Colombian you put. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get into that. Like because yeah. the, the the Colombian stuff is interesting, but I actually got to oh, yes, actually yeah. got to introduce this here first. So that'll okay. Let's go. I, I always I always hate the introduction, but um, so <laughs> welcome to the Who's Anime Is It Anyway podcast, where everything is made up and the score doesn't matter. That's right, the score doesn't matter. Much like quality soundtracks don't matter to these producers, which. <laughs> is unfortunate because it's like actually it's not a bad show but the one thing that i've talked about with like a a lot of people about the previous shows that i've reviewed so far is that all of them have quality soundtracks so this this is like the first one that doesn't have it and if you look back to like early 2000s late 90s podcast or not podcasts this is a podcast those are anime um if you look back to like the late and we'll talk about soundtracks later but if you look like if you look at the late 90s early 2000s anime like all of them have quality soundtracks that were super popular like cowboy bebop which i've reviewed Mm -hmm. Fantastic oh, yeah, soundtrack, right? Yeah, amazing soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, they had a live band. I mean, that's you can't like you just can't beat that. Can't. Um, uh, Death Note. Oh yeah, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Naruto. Soundtrack is amazing. Like a mixer of pop, punk rock, um, modern day pop, popular music, especially with Jap- Japanese popular music as well. Yeah. And yeah, it's okay. One Piece. <laughs> One Piece, yeah, so the same as well too, and just with a lot of like with One Piece though, I never take One Piece for its soundtrack. Honestly, I don't know why. I just think that some some piece soundtrack never got me as interested as other soundtrack. Okay, like other shows, yeah, like Naruto soundtrack. I think that is one of the best like key uh, aspect of Naruto. It had always great soundtrack yeah. and stuff like that. That note, I loved it because I think it had one of the best metal music, neo metal, and oh, absolutely like any hardcore music ever. Because yeah. I like the entrance, the second opening and the ending is like one of my favorite things. Like I used to play the drums and yeah. I try to learn that whole process. I mean, like that's one of the things that like actually is is common theme on here too. Is like my my cousin who I just uh, actually recorded a Naruto podcast with, like the original mm-hmm. series, because he just rewatched both that and like finished Shippuden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one of the big things that we talked about for like the the entirety of his rewatch of the show was the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I don't know if this that one is going to come before, like if I'm going to release that one or this one first, mm-hmm. I got to decide whether or not I want to do like all of Naruto in one podcast or split it up no. and do like parts, which I don't want to get do drop part. like a five hour podcast on people. Nobody's <laughs> no. going to listen to that. No, you should do definitely a series on Naruto in different parts. I think Naruto has just that longevity that it needs to be broken down into different parts. Even the first part of Naruto as well, too, I think it just had different sections that needed to be just broken down. Yeah. Shippuden, I think, expanded significantly on Naruto. Even though I prefer the older part one better, Shippuden in itself is diverse. And, yeah, it's you know, long. Every aspect is long. It's long. About, really long. But Speaking honestly, of long yeah, anime, I, I now have secured the person who's going to be talking about One Piece with me when that, whenever that ends. <laughs> 
<laughs> it will never end. It will never so end. So when we're thirty, like, <laughs> no, that's you. Because you're the only person. Man. You're the only person that I know that has kept up on One Piece as much as I have. I have been. Man. I've been. I just think the manga. Like I even like don't want to watch the anime as much as I want to because because mm-hmm. I, I want to like keep on just continue with the manga and then getting into the anime. Yeah. Because it's it pisses me off that I catch up with the anime so fast and then I have to wait for the manga and everything like that. And the manga sometimes it doesn't come like weekly, and I, that's okay. Honestly, I think that's the one thing I hate about anime and manga fans is that. They expect these things to drop consistently. And I'm just like, yeah. come on, man. The artist needs some break. Yeah. And with One Piece, dude, it's this arc that I'm reading right now has been like on going on for like the last two years or so. Which arc is that? And it's just like, uh, it's still the, I would say it's the, the part of the Country's arc. Yeah, okay. one arc. Yeah. It's yeah. still going on. So like, it's still yeah. part of it. So okay. But now they're focusing more on Amnesia, the big ass island that Kato lives in. Yeah. Um, but it's been going on for a while. And I just like think that's like the basic one piece like arc when um timeline. It will be like two years for an arc to finish. But you never get mad about it because no. freaking there's so many characters, man. Yeah, but that's yeah, a you know, like that's gonna be a multi-part podcast because that's that's oh, yeah, gonna be an absurd. Yeah, especially when he ties it all up with like the world government involvement mm-hmm. and everything like that. Like there's gonna be too much to talk about. It is a significantly, I think that. The hardest thing about that is like a lot of people, he said that it's coming, it's almost coming to a close, but there's so many unanswered questions. Yeah. Then there are like answered questions, basically. It's like, yeah. dude, I still have so many freaking questions. I know you answered a lot of our questions, but like you haven't asked the ones that are just been bugging us. And so hopefully Ichiro Oda still, you know, because his health is honestly one and it's it's been an issue in the past, but hopefully, you know, he has an idea of how One Piece is going to He released a statement saying that he, he knows how, how he's going to end One Piece. But a lot of time for a lot of people, it's like, no, dude, we don't care how One Piece ends. We want you to answer our question. Yeah, exactly. So, so speaking of which, which show, how did you get started into this? Like, how did I got watch into Black Lagoon? So essentially, um, not like why Black Lagoon speci- specifically, but like yeah, give us give us your background. Let let, let the let everybody else know what I know a little bit of. All right. So essentially, me as an anime watcher, I grew up uh, basically watching cartoon a lot of times, and anime was a big part of my childhood. Even growing up in the Sudan, mm-hmm. um, one of the most popular anime was Captain Tushub. Uh, that's how you pronounce it. I'm not an anime elitist, so I never pronounce it with their Japanese name. Yeah. I go with the common ones. Uh, but in Sudan, it was known as uh, Captain Majid. Um, and it was basically a soccer anime. Me being from Sudan, soccer is very popular. Yeah. And so Are I'd you go, good at soccer? Go, I've never I've never played with you. <laughs> I'm actually good at soccer. Uh, I'm not technically good. I am physically great at soccer. Yeah, it's you're, you're good at soccer, uh, unless you're hurt. <laughs> unless I'm hurt, yeah, then I'll suck at it. But no, like, I am physically good at soccer but i'm not technically good at soccer and yeah literally you could tell that if you're a soccer fan you could they'll know what i'm talking about there's people that are like physically amazing at soccer but technically they suck yeah and so growing up i grew up in a soccer family so soccer has always been a big part of it i have actually for uncles that play professional soccer for both the national team and club sports and stuff like that okay and captain Toshiba, like i said was something i grew up on um so that was an anime i grew up on but back in the day i didn't know what's the difference between anime and regular cartoon but as I got a little bit older, you kind of start seeing the trope and stuff like that. And then when I moved to Egypt, there was still more animes that were going, that were popular. Sailor Moon was being played. Um, hmm. So is this, can't think of the name of the topic in my head, but it was like an anime where the kids would essentially have the like little cards, like Bell? little go-karts. It's not like Zatch Bell. 
it's essentially like a car that would just run on a track and they'll chase and run with the car. And the aspect of that anime was that the car had to knock each other off the track or beat each other in order okay. to like win. You have these kids that like the whole episode running adjacent to the car trying to get to the finish line. Hmm. I came to think of that in my head, but that's like one of the best anime I watched when I was a little. I'm surprised I don't remember the name. Um, and boom, then I came to the United States. And guess what anime was the first anime that I seen when I turned on the TV in New York City as soon as I got off the airport and they put us in a mini hotel? Just guess. Dragon Ball. Of course. Of course. The- <laughs> Dragon of course. Ball. No, not Dragon Ball. It's Which an I easy know? guess for me because we've had this conversation <laughs> about Dragon Ball. I, I already... It I, yeah. It was just like, boom, turn on TV. Dragon Ball was right there being played. Uh, yeah, right, on Toonami. Boom. And I'm just like, huh, this is actually a cool looking anime. And I could tell that it's an anime because it has that... I, just that trope that it looks like it's a Japanese produced thing. Mm-hmm. And I had grown up, like I knew it's anime was came from Japan. So I mean, I started to learn that anime is kind of from Japan or somewhere from East Asia. And so, boom, Dragon Ball Z was on. Then Samurai Jack came on after it. Yeah. yeah and Samurai Jack. Shout out Samurai Jack. Look, anime. Shout out the greatest anime. But it wasn't an anime. Yeah. And, a lot, and elitists would say like, no, it's never an anime. But it shares a lot of the commentary as anime. That's like but the elitists that say like anime. Avatar The Last Airbender shouldn't qualify. It's just like, it's the same, it's the it's same, same thing. It's the same thing. Like you got to give it this props and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, yeah. That came on. And so I started, like, you know, to notice that a lot of time, you know, there's a lot of shows that could be American, but has that, you know, Japanese influence-based anime, which you could tell they're they're American. But then you have shows that are, like, are mad Japanese and, you know, it's anime. So growing up, I started watching a lot of animes back and forth, back and all of that. And, you know, one time, you know, I saw a commercial on TV about Black Lagoon, but it wasn't being shown on Toonami because, you know, for some reason it was an adult-oriented. And my mom would make me go to sleep before any of those would come on. Yeah, but my apartment had a clubhouse, and I would spend like four hours a day in that clubhouse with the computer. Yeah, even the freaking manager knew me <laughs> watching anime, and Black Lagoon was one of the few animes that I watched because it was one of those adult anime that I would just sit down and watch and stuff like that. I go to these virus based or websites, and I'll just watch Black Lagoon, and I started getting interested in Black Lagoons because, like I said, mentioned in it before, it was like it was violence, just shit, guns everywhere, shooting, boom, these criminals going all like that. And then Cowboy Bebop was being shown on Toonami, so mm. I kind of thought it was the more raunchy Cowboy Bebop. Like, Cowboy Bebop was raunchy, but it has this, you know, you could tell that it's full of, like, you know, morale, motives, and stuff like that. Yeah. Black Lagoons would have some few episodes like that, but most of the time, it's so violent and so, you know, out there. And as a boy, you were like, oh, this shit is cool as fuck. Yeah. Man. That's how I got into Black Lagoon. And then as I got older and started going rewatching back and back and back, the key aspect I started to peep is like it uses a lot of real world, like, you know, common trend, especially with transnationalism, crime, I mean, transnational crime, um, the idea of, you know, violence, the idea of working in society and challenging norms. And then, like you said, supremacy and everything like that. Yeah. So that's how I got into Black Lagoon. Which is interesting because, like, I'm glad, like, because we were going to do um, Rurouni Kenshin when mm-hmm. I first talked about it, but like, yeah. I'm glad that I asked about black lagoon because of like, cause we know each other through like college. And mm-hmm. so we've obviously had like a ton of conversations about like international policy and everything like that. So when I was searching through my list, I was like, Oh, which, uh, 
you know, which one would, would be an interesting topic and which one, like, I think would be better suited for, for Eddie and I would, is definitely this one, just like you mentioned before, like transnational crime, like uh, citizen displacement, you know, uh, like rebel cells in certain countries that like have to find so- like um, safety in certain areas of the world that not very many people know about or like don't really care about. Um, <clears throat> so I think like, especially when you talked about Cowboy Bebop, like Cowboy Bebop's a great show, but it's, I don't want to say it's more cartoony because it, it talks about different, um, it talks about different uh, like concepts, like more worldly, like personal concepts compared to the, um, like compared to our current society's concepts. You know, so and, and and that that's the good part about this. This and like we said, it just doesn't have as strong enough as a soundtrack, which I think is a big plays a big role. Yeah, so like I said, it builds on a lot of just challenge and attacking that whole human idea of violence, and so that's why the soundtrack tends to follow that raunchy, grunge and like music. Right, and when Cowboy Bebop has that jazz fusion bass, where sometimes it asks you to yeah, just think about philosophical ideas and stuff like that. With Black Lagoon, it does that, but most of the time as well, too, is just like significantly says that, hey, violence is sometimes the answer. Yeah. It's majority of the time is the answer. Sure, there is other means so at an end, but violence tend to be a lot of time the means to that. Uh, and, um, but when it comes to Cowboy Bebop, it's just a lot of every question, every episode, everything has some kind of question that needed to be answered and everything like that. While Black Lagoon, sure, there's some, quite, there's some episode that does have that idea. But you're not going to pick it up that easy. Most no. of the time, you're just so focused on the violence, man. No, there's a subtlety of ideas in mm-hmm. the violence of the show. Mm-hmm. Which, it is, but it's like, it's, but it's such an underrated show when it comes to yeah. challenging those aspects. Though. But I think as you get older, you finally get to explore some of those aspects. You finally get to see it slowly and slowly. So I, then I literally ask people, it's like, who, what show do you think is more of a realistic view of society? And I would just say, I would say Black Lagoon, definitely Black Lagoon. Yeah. As much as I love Cowboy Bebop, I just think that, yeah, the world is more of a Black Lagoon than it is of a Cowboy Bebop. I think uh, Cowboy Bebop does a better job of talking about humanity where this is more of a better show about society. Mm-hmm. Because like, I mean, it, it's a direct reflection of like the worst, not the worst parts, but like what happens that we don't really talk about. And I think um, one of the best thing about it, when I was uh, reading about the Black Lagoon and its producer, mm-hmm. he says he got a lot of his ideas uh, essentially from the late 90s where crime was just so rampant in the South Asia, yeah, South, uh, Southeast Asia. But a lot of time Western worlds were so unfamiliarized with those crimes because, you know, it really wasn't really affecting them. And by chance, and at the same time, too, with the idea, like I said, that is when globalization and some kind of regionalism was starting to grow. Mm-hmm. And even though you could have those, you know, positive economic regionalism that is growing, one thing we always notice as well is that crime starts to increase as well. Um, you can't have an efficient economic growth, honestly, without crime being a central part into those growth as well, too. Nobody wants to acknowledge that with the increased prosperity in the economy. You think like, oh, everyone are getting money. The society is doing great. Crime is not. No, no, crime would follow suit. Crime just knows how to take the good part of that economy yeah. being growth and make sure that they can maximize that profit for themselves through illegal ways. There's yeah. there's a lot of great society in Southeast Asia that are doing economically better, but you know, there there's a lot of crime within those areas that are common and legendary now that even anime start to use them. 
Yeah. There's not a lot of people in the middle in this anime either. It's like the if like an income inequality type of thing where you have all the white collar criminals that are kind of controlling the the like grander concepts of this, like Hotel Moscow and everything. Yeah. And like the crime bosses, as well as like other players like the FBI, the CIA, you know, like companies, that kind of stuff, like the company that rocks from. But then you also have everybody that are like the not the pawns, I want to say, but the people that do the actual jobs, like that mm-hmm. can't, come from backgrounds that didn't have any money that are just like based None. purely on survival. It is. And, and I think we'll, we'll probably delve that into it later with like, especially the different characters and their different background. Um, one of the thing about Black Lagoon is a lot of those characters actually do come from a diverse background. And that's what I like about Black Lagoon is that mm, it challenged, I mean, every crime drama, you know, you want to make a good crime drama. Mm. The one common trope about it that you should never have is that assume that every criminal comes from a low income to low middle class background. There's been criminals that come from well-to-do families or come from essentially just like, hey, my family was doing okay, but for some odd reason I had this desire to want to either make more money or I just was bored with my life and everything like that. And then that's been a lot there's been a common trope in a lot of societies. Not all criminals come from poor families. There's been criminals that come from wealthy families and just decided to just boom. I yeah. want to be a criminal because that's the all where I can make money and can be a psychopath, basically. So yeah. We talked about the the soundtrack a lot and mm-hmm. like kind of the just the show summary. So just mm-hmm. to kind of read it off here, Black Lagoon, it's it's a show that follows um Pirates are mercenaries that are known as the Lagoon Company. They smuggle goods and, and other things around Southeast Asia in the 1990s. Um, their base is off of a, a place in Thailand, and they are using the boat that they call the Black Lagoon. Um, they do business with a bunch of people, um, but particularly with the Russian crime syndicate, the Hotel Moscow, which is something we'll talk about a lot. Um, shout out Balalaika. Um and it's, it's really just like a, a follow the story over the course of like a bunch of missions and they separate the missions and arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the soundtrack. It's meh. Could be better if it had like a heavy metal or grunge backdrop, which was big in the 90s. I don't, that's a huge missed opportunity to include grunge in an anime. I don't know why they didn't do it. It makes a lot I more sense. Did a few. It did. I mean, they did a few of it, but it's like it wasn't its main part. Like I said, no. I honestly think it should have been, especially in the- 90s grunge like, basically ruled the 90s i don't know how much you know about alice in chains because i've never had a conversation about music with you um no. but like give me like a little bit of like pearl jam alice in chains like nirvana vibes for this show i would even add even though i wouldn't say but i'll add a few a little bit of metallica just because yeah I love i think metallica dominated in the 90s as well too yeah and it fits Revy's character. It does, definitely. Like, so. Revy, she's... I love her. <laughs> she's <laughs> so, like, yeah. No, I'm with I you. <laughs> yeah, I said to one of the uh, one of my friends who she's going to be on for a podcast that is going to be about Kitekyo Hitman Reborn, Boom. which is a show that not very many people have watched, but something that I spent way too much time on. And uh, I so funny story is I actually have, like a group of 23-year-olds at work that yeah. all watch anime. Nah. You're about an amazing job, then. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was weird. I was like, so let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. You all are my age, <laughs> and you all watch anime? Like, yeah, I said, did we just become best friends? Yeah, 
the hardest yes. thing about being a Marine Corps officer mm-hmm. is that essentially a lot of my peers don't watch anime. But when I was enlisted, a lot of my peers watch anime. Sad. And being as an officer, you know, you want to have that professional relationship with your, you know, enlisted Marines the same yeah. time. But at the same time, you find out that you're more in tune with their taste of music and anime. You're like, damn, dude. Like, it's fraternization. Yeah. Her, you know, relationship becomes unprofessional. But like, you watch anime, dog. And it's like a... Like a lot of my like a lot of them like always hit me up about anime like hey what I may recommend and we used to talk about anime all the time yeah and like I said I know I'm a brand new officer and there's probably like a lot of officers out there just do watch anime but it's just like so far none of them have come to me and decided to talk about anime so how many people like are under your command essentially oh right now I'm have none nobody under my command whatsoever I'm technically right now in this thing called a temporary uh, duty okay. so how many um, people would I'll, you have in, under your command if you were to do that uh when I do get my first command the job that I want is to be an infantry officer mm-hmm. um and ten, infantry officers tend to be uh starting off as a platoon command and they'll have about good old 40 marines under their command okay. and such like that um most other officers other jobs you'll have between 20 30 marines but then you'll be officers that are in charge yeah. of what we call a shop so like in yeah. charge charge of like a few marines but they pass the words and stuff like that but me and i'm gonna be in charge of like a lot of marines and stuff like that and like i said you said your title's people, lieutenant you know, right yeah second lieutenant right now i'm in second lieutenant um so you automatically become a second lieutenant as soon as you commission. And then two years, you then automatically become a first lieutenant and subsequently any other yeah. uh, rank after that. So nobody under my command right now. I'm just right now just doing a temporary duty. But you could. Day. But not right now. No, I still have to first go to the basic school, do my training, yeah. my introduction as an officer, and then get awarded a job specialty. And then after finishing all that job training, then I can get awarded basically um basically my first command so okay that, that, yeah, so, so lieutenant what's stopping you from nicknaming people after anime characters what's stopping me from what's what's stopping you for this this was this was the question on the tip of my tongue since i asked you these <laughs> questions was so you're saying that the the people that you relate to with watching anime are the enlistees or the or the enlisted but you're there's a massive opportunity here to just nickname all of them after anime characters i know like a lot of time i just want to do give them those things but we when i was enlisted before i went officer we gave each other nicknames all the time there's a kid that we used but we assumed that he was like uh we just called him berserk because he literally would sometimes just lose his mind and just go ape crazy and we talk yeah. about berserk all the whole time there's a kid that always like did naruto run for fun and you know, <laughs> <laughs> he'd just be bored and does naruto and like i said like I'll, the biggest misconception about the military they think we're just these muscle meatheads guys who just go yeah. join the military and we all that but like no a lot of us are essentially like anime watchers and we love watching anime yeah and like my unit was full of guys that always watched and talked about anime and there you get a few that don't watch anime you know yeah, the, stuff like that the funniest thing i've stumbled on tiktok was um was like military weeb tiktok mm-hmm. and also like people who don't want to be there the people who don't want to be there TikTok in the military there's like guess i guess i could die today but we're just gonna have to go back to work 
<laughs> oh, there's like a lot of that. It's like, a little, it's always a common thing about the military. It's like, I don't want to be here. I don't know why I decided to join the military. And yeah. Then, yeah but, hey, I'm in the military. And then there's these guys in the military, like, I love the military, but I don't want to be known that I love the military. Yeah, exactly. But deep down, they love it, especially if somebody, an outsider, talks smack about the military, be like, yeah, how dare you talk about the military like that? We're the greatest fighting force in the world. Have you seen the and attack on Titan abridged? No, I have to. Oh my god! My, my okay, god, watch guess. that because there's a line in that where Aaron's getting punched by a couple of soldiers. Yeah, and he's just like, and the soldiers is like, "You want to do cool stuff like this, Daxum?" He goes, "You should fucking join the military." <laughs> and, and and Aaron goes over to me, cousin Armin. He goes, "Guys, I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna join the military. <laughs> we can get all the food." power and vengeance that we could ever yeah. want it is it's like it's for a lot of the nerds that join the military it's just like i could finally be a bigger man it's just like that is that is really common it's like there was these kids yeah. that was like in my because i was infantry when i was on list and when i went to the school of infantry all these nerds would be like i asked them like hey why did you join the military it's like you know i always wanted to be a badass you know and stuff like that yeah and it was like, yeah, that's why I decided to be infantry. I'm like, you could have been any other job in the Marine Corps. You could have been an intel analysis. You could have been like a cook. You could have been anything like that. But you chose the infantry. And he's like, yeah, you know, I always wanted to shoot guns. And I'm like, school that. And it's like, okay, dude, like, do what All you right. got to do. You want to be, right. right. be a door pusher? Yeah. Go ahead. Door kicker. Let's get it. Sure. And so, yeah. Sure. And that's what we end up getting. And so, like, that's my favorite thing. Is just like, like the military is just so diverse. But you know, yeah. well, so that it's just the it just significantly is full of meatheads. Like the meatheads only make like ten percent. Well, I think that's like I think that's the thing I like doing about this podcast the most is even if I like don't even have that many listeners, it's just like mm-hmm. every person that I've had so far has such a different background and like life in general but also how they got into anime like i got an anime in a middle school like you got an anime when you were a youth and you got into it like watching a sports anime in a different country that was associated to a sport that you loved and that your family played and um and i know how much you love soccer because i played soccer with you so you know my cousin has a different way of getting into anime even though we're related and we have like similar familial backgrounds but like Davin has a different way of getting into anime which shout out Davin but like you know we, we all have this different route and like this different path and like all these different like jobs and and that's like why I wanted to do this um in general was just like kind of talk about people and how they got into this weird like collective like viewing pleasure that we all <laughs> that we all have and what's unique about anime as well too is that it's so diverse but there's a lot of common trope that gets a lot of people interested and i think the main trope about it is that it comes from japan i don't know it's maybe from, it's japan. It comes from japan it's like yeah i've been, I've been seeing this uh, like a uh, meme yeah. like, everywhere in yeah. twitter is like put something in front of japan and people were like oh japan <laughs> and it's like no, yeah. like you put trash in front of japan and people are like oh, trash japan it's wow. japanese trash <laughs> no, it must be better it must be better and i think like i say yeah different people have different reasons why they got into anime but at the end of the day it's like it's anime and i hate people that gatekeep anime and it's like absolutely dude, like let people get into anime and stuff like that and like stuff like that and growing up i want more people to get into anime i want to talk about it with more people and essentially now like growing up i was just like i always get as much people interested in anime as possible and i just let everybody know i was like hey 
This is the greatest thing you could watch ever. It has its own themes and everything like that. But you can get used to them and watch them whenever. Yeah. So speaking of which, like just for the people out there who haven't seen, we've kind of covered everything about the show that isn't spoilery. So what, how, like give a short review, like how you would, what you want people to take away from this in order for them to watch it and what score out of 10 you would give it. Oh, uh, starting off, I would actually, what I would want people to actually get from this show, because I think, especially if you're an adult now, and you, a lot of time you start questioning, you know, having these existential social crisis, like, oh, what am I doing in this world? Uh, you're going to have those questions watching animes too. Mm-hmm. Um, taking off the good take away from that show, um, and I think it has to do with basically with rock, and it challenges people's, you know, norms in the world. A lot of the characters from this show come as well come from a diverse background, and that's what I brought up earlier is that you essentially you don't have to be a low income, ruggedy dude to be a criminal. And with this show, it's essentially questions that it's like our role in the world and how we are interconnected. That is a big part of this show. And then there's challenges, short drama and the crime is a big central theme to that show. But a lot of times it's also questions like the role of different individuals into that show. Every character is diverse. Each character has their own background and unique ways as to how they play a part in the show. And their Um, role is so small compared to like the world. It is though. Like their world, their role are significantly small, but they're just so interconnected. And that's why I said like starting in the 90s, like the world started to become way more and more interconnected as ever. And I think that has to do with technology and this show also touches a part of that. So this show plays a huge part of that. You can think yourself as, you know, this white collar workers, gray collar worker, blue collar worker that don't play a big part in the world. That's me. But your action, <laughs> you play some kind of part of the world, ah. but your action or something influence something. I mean, influence a part of the world. Yeah. And that's what this show essentially a lot of time tends to say. Um, but at the same time, too, like I said, crime and drama is a big part of it. And this show essentially, you know, just starts showing us what happened in the 90s when crimes have become way more, you know, transnational as possible. Uh, crime is not just now centered around in one border, in one region, even though it's so central. Uh, it's around Southeast Asia, specifically Cambodia and Thailand. You see different aspects of the show. You see the Thai, Thai criminal gangs. You see the Russian mafia, the Chinese triad, Japanese Yakuza, and the Colombian cartel, and stuff like that. And like I said, the show just shows that the world is interconnected. When it comes to writing this show, um, because of the, the reason I like it a lot is just for those reasons. I still would rate it as a seven out of ten. I wouldn't consider it like a masterpiece or a great show and everything okay. like that. And, and essentially, I mean, it doesn't. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's great. It's fun to watch and stuff like that. But other than that, a lot of it, the funness is based off the violence that it strongly pushes on and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but if you have like no knowledge of how the criminal world works or function or any idea of the black market or anything like that. That show would not be interesting for you or anything like that whatsoever. But if you do have an idea of like that, as well as the functioning of regionalism, uh, trade agreements and all of that, yeah, you'll get an idea of this show. So I think this will be a great show. But for new listeners or anything like that, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I think this is a prime show for a remake. Yeah, it's significantly great prime show for a remake, especially for a Netflix remake or yeah. even a good show that you can actually do a live action on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, this would be a great live action. I never even thought about that. That's that's a good point. I, I, I think like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing spectacular about it. Like there's no Rasengans or anything like that that you have to worry like about that. like editing <laughs> in. No, but, no, that's actually, 
And the details in the show, it's one of the most underrated aspects of the show. It's like a lot of the weapons, mm-hmm. a lot of the vehicle and everything that is being used in that show has been so fine-tuned. And it's like it follows its like real counterpart um, aspect. Like a lot of the guns and firearms that are used in this show, it's drawn up and like shown as their real counterpart. Like uh, Ravi's um, weapon, she wields mm-hmm. a Beretta 92F in Buck. And that weapon, like if you look at it, it looks just like it's real live version. Yeah. Like that. Uh, a lot of the criminal use like Glock 17. That is a very popular gun in law enforcement in the United States as well as criminals. Oh, everybody loves the Glock. And it was a drama movie. Isn't there like a durability aspect to that? Yeah, the Glocks are really durable. The yeah. Glocks and Smith Westons are really durable and I love them. And so like a lot of the shows are just, they copy a lot of those. Like they just copy the real world counterpart, including the cars, including stuff like that. Even the lagoon uh the boat that they drive it's based off a real life um, united states military boat uh the elko type pt boat which uses by the navy so like it just well dutch is a dutch is a naval uh former naval captain mm-hmm. oh yeah that, that that's like i kind of forgot about that but i know i caught up in that that's why he was so anxious but the pt boat is like i recall was always being used um like in like post-world war ii yeah um for small like for small organizations stuff like that and a lot of the themes like i said in black lagoon have been influenced significantly by by the criminal black market in the late 90s as well as during the cold war yeah especially and like country misgivings that mm-hmm. turn into like international political issues it is, a, it is a, but I, like all the characters are just uh, fundamentally are great but hey it's one of the best shows ever like i said it's underrated and a lot of those concepts if you're not yeah. familiarized with like i said with crime conflict or all of the debauchery that be going in the world you won't like you won't be interested in that show especially if you're young but if you are i think this is one of the best shows and definitely i would hope one day it becomes a live action show yeah i think this is definitely like a hidden gem and mm-hmm. Like in terms of like prime remake candidacy, I think like if they did do that, it would it would fare a lot better than the original currently does. Yeah, it does. Like I hope it brings like you know attention back to the original, but I think if you do a live action, it would be significant. And a lot of common trope right now that's going on is of a strong female character um, who has like a dark past as well. So you know that that that, like full of those. Yeah. 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 Well, it, there's too many. It gets super dark and it's it really does. depressing. But you know, the show is like, but I love this show. That's what the best part about it. Like it gets into that significantly. Yeah. But I love all of the characters in that show. I think like, so in today's like popular anime scene and why like obviously our conversation about the remake is important is there's a lot of things out there right now. Like, like I've watched dra- um, Demon Slayer. I almost said Dragon Slayer. Uh, Demon Slayer. <laughs> I, I've watched Jujutsu Kaisen. I've seen like a lot of the new like um, uppity like our uh, popular shows that have happened recently. Obviously, Attack on Titan has the fourth season, uh, mm-hmm. which we won't talk about because that, that's a conversation in and of itself. Right. But like, there aren't a lot of shows out there right now that have staying power and no. like I've, I watch Boruto just because of the Naruto stuff, but like, it's yeah. not good. And one no. piece still is going on, but like, that's one piece that's been around for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, I can't call it a new show. There's nothing new right now that like is outstanding. Mm-hmm. And I think if you introduce something like this as a remake with like today's animation, like obviously with like the way that they've animated Jujutsu Kaisen and, and like, uh, 
demon slayer like the the dark undertones but with like some really quality animation like i think pair that with like a good soundtrack and you have a very good show that takes like that kind of surprises people with the commentary on it so i I, there's just like a missed opportunity here i think that yeah with black lagoon there is significantly missed opportunity but the one thing about black lagoon is it's so standard on adults yeah that i that I'm surprised that a lot of adults are not, did not get into it. Uh, it just seems like a lot of adults are, that are into anime still cater to those tropes that they got accustomed to when they were young. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like a lot of the shows that they watch, you know, if you could, if you're an anime or manga fan, you know what's the difference between a shonen and a shinen and yeah. a seinen. I can never pronounce say seinen right. And I say the reason why shonen are still popular is because it's still catered to those, you know, ideas that you got it, you were watching when you were little. A lot of the main characters are these coming to age individual that are, you know, you know, trying to show up like, hey, I'm going to grow to this powerful person. I'm going to be able to all of this. Uh, Even with Jujutsu Kaisen, it's just like it has a dark undertone and everything like that. But the kid's personality and everything is kind of based on his him coming of age. And a lot of the characters, like a lot of enemies have always been coming of age characters wanting to grow one thing like that has been common for a lot of popular enemies even with dragon ball when first got popular was goku's coming of age until you know now he's an adult doing all this i think that's why people are like disappointed in gohan because they wanted gohan to be that coming of age character they see growth and be powerful but you know he went and got married became a father and all that so people like nah i don't want to get old i don't want to grow a little bit But I think like too with the show, you know, especially when you touched on like a lot of adults are watching anime because we've all kind of grown up at this point that that started with it. Like now that there's an increasingly large and adult viewership of anime, like again, this this would be a perfect show to throw into the into that mix for people that like are kind of missing that who who have seen all of like Cowboy Bebop and Neon Genesis and, and everything like that, which was featured on Netflix too. Um, in a conversation I have with Tyler, like Neon Genesis is a great show talking about humanity and philosophy, but what about Mm -hmm. society? You know, like this is a great show to talk about society and like the inner machinations of like crime and, and, and the issues with like issues with that. So I, you know, I, like, I think the show came out at the wrong time, essentially. Yeah. Everyone was trying to put on an anime back then and it got lost in the fold. Yeah. Like, there are yeah, a lot think- of, there are a lot of great shows from back then and like Helsing being one of them too. Oh, Helsing was freaking amazing. Yeah. Like, I think Helsing was just like but a lot of the, like I said, those adult oriented shows. Yeah. For a lot of the individuals that do watch them and like say, oh, this is so, and that's why we keep saying it's underrated. Mm-hmm. But some of these shows are like were popular and like a lot of people watching them. Because remember, growing up, anime was not considered like a norm to watch. You like you no. would consider like a dork or a nerd to see like that. Exactly. But then Naruto and everybody got popular and stuff like that. But those shows were. Like I say, coming of age, but at the same time, too, it was kind of seen as a show that you could tell your buddy that doesn't watch anime to watch it because you don't want him to see you as that weirdo that watch yeah. Hell Sings or Berserk or anything like that. Like, imagine me telling somebody, like, hey, you, this is this dopamine animation. It's called Berserk. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to, like, you know, swear around the violence, sexual assault, and through all of that. But it's a great show. It's a great show. No, Which is, you'll what? recommend, like, Naruto or something. It's funny that you mentioned Naruto too and like people Mm -hmm. who caught on anime because you started with Dragon Ball Z and I shit you not, Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with Ryan last week about how like the people that were two years above us were the ones who caught the tail end of the Dragon Ball Z craze. And we were were the ones that got started with the Naruto craze. Like, so we, like him and I had this exact conversation about Naruto (laughs) and like about how people watch Dragon Ball Z 
and and you were part of that actual like what we were talking about. Like you caught the tail end. Yeah, I caught that. Yeah, and that's the thing about it. like I caught the tail end of Dragon Ball Z when it was like becoming like a craze in the United States, and then they were pushing out those Dragon Ball Z video games and yeah, marketing toys and everything like that. You couldn't do that with adult oriented animes. Um, no. But you you watched them. You significant amount of people watched it. That they were talking about it, calling it underrated. You know how many people called Akira underrated? It's like one of the greatest show ever. But then I'm like, if we're everyone are talking about Akira, they want to talk about Cowboy Bebop. It's not underrated. We talk about it. We know it's rated. It. Yeah, it's rated. We it's just rated. don't want to put out in the open because we know kind of either want to gatekeep it. Exactly. Or at the same time, we want to like tell ourselves like as these elitists that you know, watch it. And Black Lagoon, I think, is underrated because not a lot of people are talking about it. But there's enough people that watch it. They we just not trying to give it space. We gave to Cowboy Bebop and all of those. Yeah. But it's like you'll probably find other people around the world that watch Black Lagoon. And so yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So so that, yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about this then. We're gonna enter the spoiler section. And so if you haven't seen the show and you don't want to be spoiled from it which at this point honestly it's not one of those shows that really matters for spoilers as much as something like full metal alchemist or uh even like code Ge- not code gas code gas definitely matters for spoilers matters, yeah. Um, yeah. like neon genesis evangelion like those things i think matter a little bit more for spoilers than like shows like cowboy bebop and this one yeah. uh, they, don't, they don't follow a linear storyline no. uh, as much as like eh, like the characters yeah i remember a few episodes ago you it shot at me or yada yada like no every story episode is like a different yeah. new adventure and stuff like that yeah so as we talked about it follows the the crew of the black lagoon and lagoon company there are four characters that are the main characters um that are part of the lagoon company there's rock revy dutch and benny rock is the uh main character of the story and he was a japanese businessman who worked for a large corporation who was transferring um, nuclear codes or nuclear technology via a a CD um, to a like war-torn country that wanted to take control of it. And he got caught in like the Black Lagoon's trap essentially and ended up becoming part of their crew because he had nothing else better to do because the company that he worked for tried to kill him. Um, (laughs) So... Yeah, that that part. Who doesn't like a little cover up? What? Who doesn't like a little? Go- I say, who doesn't like a little good cover up? Yeah, yeah, they're trying to cover up their shit and didn't, weren't successful. So he realizes, like, he doesn't really have any family or friends. So he uh, and I, like apparently the Japanese workday is very long. So I can understand where like that would be an issue with having like friends that that like matter if you're working mm-hmm. until like eight or nine every day. Yeah, outside of your coworkers. Um, so if your coworkers give you up, then like, you know, that's, that's basically it. Like you're, you're, you're done if you don't have any family. Um, then there's Revy, who is uh, waifu supreme. One of my friends asked me who I would simp for. And I told her that I didn't simp for anybody because I didn't have that. And then I, for, I forgot about Black Lagoon at that time. And then I saw a meme about Black Lagoon. I was like, oh yeah, Revy. <laughs> I simp for Revy. Sorry, she just yeah, she's great. She's amazing. Like she challenges a lot of norms of a female anime character. I think, like I said, other characters within that show also challenges our norm. But because Revy's one of the main characters, yeah, definitely Revy is that forefront. Yeah, I would never date a girl like Revy. I wouldn't. (laughs) Really? 
No. I feel like you guys will compliment each other. Like, like honestly, that, I've been looking for like, and not to make a weird like dating thing, but I've been looking. It said if if I go back to the dating scene. What do you mean I've been looking? Look You're always looking. Like, I am not looking. That is a countless. But I said Revy is going to be that character that I'm looking for because I am an introvert at, at times as well as keep to myself. It's like that. But with Revy, high energy, extrovert nature, as well as undiplomatic personality. I'm like, yeah, that can compliment me. I need somebody to yell at the waitress if they did my orders wrong. I need someone to like be blunt with everybody because I don't want to waste that energy. I, w- I would date I would date a Revy for like a couple of months, you know. Be careful with that. Remember, she said it, she is a sadistic killer. So true, true, true. <laughs> okay. You don't okay. have to have an extra like, strategy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like I'm talking about a person like Revy, not actually Revy. I love you. Could I, could I think I if actually, anyone tells me that, you know. Well, I think it, this makes sense because, like, I, I could probably associate most with Rock, considering I'm a salesman who works for a corp, like a, a company, and I, I live in you know Miami, where like I have some friends. Shout out to those friends, but like, you know, if I like disappeared because I was transferring information for stuff, like, yeah, there would people be sad about it. But, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm just the person. I'm just like a, 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 a character thrown in the minutia of life, which I've, I've come to grips with, but it, it is what it is. And so like Rock and Revy's relationship is something that I understand and something that I can get behind because when they're doing, especially when they're doing that drinking day and he's just like, I was forced to drink in college. Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't forced to drink in college. Like I won't be be honest. We went to Michigan state. We were all indirectly forced to drink in college. Yeah. I I won't be so pretentious to say I was forced to drink in college, but like I can put down a couple of drinks pretty easily. Um, if I need to in like a a high volume drinking scenario. Um, If you find me in a freaking bar in Southeast Asia, drinking for my life, trying to win this negotiation against criminals, I think I can handle myself well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and they drink those bottles of Bacardi and I was just like, okay, maybe I can't do that. (laughs) That's a bit extreme, but yeah, I can understand what they're, what they're doing there. Um, Yeah. What they're going through. But yeah, so like, I think like I can identify a little bit with like that relationship. And I think that's why I have an attraction to Revy is I don't, I don't want to say I'm, you know, your standard office, like scrub, but I, I do have te- like some of those identifiers. Um, so those, those are, those are two, the two of the most prominent characters. Um, Dutch is a former U.S. Navy um, captain and he pilots a ship and he basically is the owner of Lagoon Company. He makes a lot of like business jokes. He's just like, you know, as some, as the, uh, the business owner of this company, HR is very important to me and what happens between my employees and it's just like all right you can yeah, like come on we're freaking mercenaries yeah yeah he makes those jokes all the time he's just like uh you know i'll put that away in the files well files you don't have any files you have no filing cabinet and the thing I love about Dutch, um, and that's the most aspect of it, his, his stoic nature. Like, yeah. I love that Dutch is just so stoic. And um, he he never, he doesn't use his violence as his first go-to. Uh, just like Rock, he kind of, like, wants to be diplomatic as best as possible to the situation. He's calculated yeah. as possible. So he's intel. He wants to come to every situation 
with intelligence. But a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, can't really control it. Let violence be the, you know, the method where we use to we can negotiate that. But a lot of times, like you said, he tries to stay away from fighting or any of the activities he wants to be as best as I can. You know, a businessman. That's even though he jokes about him being a businessman. But like, dude, you're a pirate mercenary involved <laughs> in this black market. <laughs> there is nothing about you that's business. But it's highly pragmatic. Um, he cares significantly about his crew. Uh, he shows that even though he is a highly business-oriented individual, he cares for the well-being of his crew, especially when they do something stupid. So every time, every Revy's time Revy doing does something, something. Dumb, <laughs> he's he's there to like freaking yeah. be that dog. I mean, be that owner that like holds the dog down, like try to leech her or something like that, or anything like that. Or even like when Rock is doing something stupid, he's there to like save him. And like that, and like he consults Bunny for like you know smart. I think because Bunny is that other thing. We'll get into Bunny in a second, but essentially he does Dutch that pragmatic, you know, overseer, that wise man that likes to stay in the back, being level headed and everything like that. Yeah. But then when he becomes angry and like gets off, you're just like you don't want to be his sector of fire because then you're basically going to get blown apart as well too. Yeah, because he can, Not contain, like Revy, his, he can but, contain his anger yeah. and think about things before he does them. It is though. So it's like that, like a man of big respect and one of those guys you will think like, you'll call it splash on splash, you know, in drama and crime world that the businessman, the old head, the man with morale himself. Absolutely. Uh, and then you did mention Benny. Benny yeah. is what I imagine um, if you put, if you mixed Jimmy Buffett with... Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs and a college pothead. Basically, that is definitely a dropout from Florida. That's why I remember the one thing about yeah. him is he had dropped out of college and that he likes Dutch. He like a 1960 something Dutch cornet. Oh, yeah, it was a Dutch cornet that he liked. That was his favorite car. But oh, Benny, right. like, yeah. But that was the one thing about Benny as well, too, was just like he's basically every college kid's wet dream when they get into like these dark like market yeah. research that they do it's like oh man i can you know hack into this system i know about this yada yada um and i want to talk to you later about this actually about bitcoins and i told you that they remake this show i hope they make bitcoins an essential part of this show because like okay. i think bitcoin is going to be a big part of like future black market transaction it's big yeah. right now but i think it's i mean it is part of the later. current black market transactions on the dark web oh definitely but i just i think in the future like it's going to be a big part because Nigeria, I don't know if you heard, but Nigeria essentially uh, sent a memo over to the central bank. It's central bank that anyone with a Bitcoin account needs to be frozen and it, no transaction needs to be done on Bitcoins. So there you could say that maybe Nigeria is doing that to stop black market trading within the country. But at the same time, you could also say Nigeria doesn't know any, anything about Bitcoin. So they said, nah. But I know in the future, Bitcoin is going to be a big part. And every time I think of Bitcoin, I think of Betty. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something like he's definitely a dark web manipulator type um in today's in today's day for sure definitely um but yeah so w- when you, you meet the you meet the people you don't really know anything about them when you start like you know all, everything about rock and and revy starts to talk a little bit about her past and like dutch will make some comments here or there but he doesn't really talk about his past very much mm-hmm. we talked about how rock gets introduced with the russian mafia like and they the russian mafia was the one who hired Lagoon Company, which is their usual go-to, is the Russian Mafia, um, which I thought was interesting, especially like at the end of the Cold War, from my understanding of like uh, criminal activity during the end of the USSR, like that was like there was a period in which like that was massive. Oh, Um, it is massive. And I think 
kind of wanted to talk also about uh, I can never say her name freaking right. Was it? Balaka. Uh, Balaka. Yep. Okay. And that is uh, the one thing she follows a lot of common tropes that happened with the Russian uh, mafias during the 90s after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Many of the members of the Russian mafias were basically uh, ex-military individuals. Like, and so that trope is common amongst the Russian uh, mafia. A lot of them were former military individuals uh, who, like, you know, now with the Soviet Union breaking apart, they don't have a job anymore. The country was going through an economic collapse as such. A lot of them end up turning into crime organization. They have access to these weapons, uh, all these accessories, as well as connections. What are the first few things that they do? They essentially just become um, criminal in its part. And with Balaka, she was what I think was a former captain in the Soviet Union Army. Yeah. Uh, sniper train and everything like that. And she still has those connections that she talked to back in the Russian military and stuff like that. But that was a common trope. Basically, in the 90s, it was like a lot of members of the former Soviet Union would just become Russian mafia gangsters and stuff. And she, I don't know why they had to make her so hot, too. I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to be honest. They, didn't, <laughs> they did not, they did not need to do that. I think like every female character that's powerful in that show was just like, yeah, we're going to make you like this good looking, badass female character with a dark history. <laughs> what? Yeah, just, stop. just stop. Like, they don't have to be cute in order to be a badass. Like, just be random. Like you don't have female. to trigger my savior complex like that. Honestly, though, it's like I kind of want to save them now, but it's like the same. Thing. I'm like, no, they're powerful as shit. I think they yeah. don't need saving. They don't want saving. They yeah, don't, don't need, need saving. But yeah, but um, that's just a huge part of that show. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to take place for too like in over the course of too much time. Like they don't do very many jobs. Like they, it just like no, I mean, it just happens in such a short amount of time. Yeah, and I think I like that's what I like about this show and its timeline with characters is that if like I said it's borrows a lot of uh, real world situation like crime doesn't just you know happens out of nowhere out of the blue yeah. and every day you got a different crime to do sometimes these things take forever to like develop and all that and so the show does a great job with that um and like i said i love that the show gathers various criminal organizations across the world and mm-hmm. interconnect them either they're trying to kill each other or they are like like working with each other and, and that's real life you know uh, modern day trans uh, national organization they do a lot of the major criminal organization across the world somewhat work with each other just like how nations work with each other when it comes to trading and everything like that yeah uh, these organizations do back deal back deal trades with each other do all of these stuff with each other because they know in order for them to function and thrive in this uh growing interconnected world they got to work with some organization from other part of the world yeah which is like where it brings us to the um, the mercenaries that were hired to kill Rock and the Black Lagoon, and then the people in between that job and the Nazi job, where it was like the the I think it was Vietnamese, the guy that wanted to or like set a trap for Dutch in the Black Lagoon, and ended up getting killed by Revy and her just exploding them with a grenade launcher. Uh, that we're trying to like fight back against Hotel Moscow. Like there are so many there like there are so many layers to that that they don't really unpack. But it's just like obviously there are a bunch of people that are displaced from a variety of different conflicts like Vietnam and you know the fall of the USSR and everything. And I mean even with Dutch's character was that um, he was a former captain I guess in the navy. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then he went AWOL and uh, decided to become a mercenary, a pirate mercenary, and then that too. A lot of those individuals, like I said, that are working, all come from a different background, but one yeah. of the main pirates, like they're all the criminals. And I wanted to like also like the idea of the pirates being mercenaries and working in a small boat because you know your idea of a, of a pirate has always been your 
high seas travel and get down the weekend that and like you'll go hide my treasure in an island and stuff like that. And the Black Lagoon did touch on like treasure island, especially with the Nazi arc. The biggest thing about it is that modern day pirate has become such a multi-diverse criminal enterprise that it's weird. There's so many different aspects of piracy and that. But it's so common in Southeast Asia mm. just because how big Southeast Asia is with the different islands, regions around that area like that and that vast-ass Indian Ocean and Pacific Ocean that it connects. So I understand why you will make Southeast Asia a common place to do, you know, a piracy anime. And like Doug said, a lot of the modern-day pirates as I was, you know, working small numbers, using small boats, speedy boats, because for one, a lot of modern-day navies and have you know develop anti-pirate attack strategies and for a lot of these pirates their role is just to attack mercenary i mean attack merchant ships steal whatever they can or get hostages and then use these small boats to like get away as fast as possible because the last thing you need to do is being attacked by like a freaking military navy boat and so they utilize all of those like pt looking boats and that's why i like that they're using the pt boat so a lot of those southeast asian nations would have like a special operation unit like their own uh, counterpart of seal just to counterattack those pirate organizations just so they can attack those things. Hmm. especially with thailand thailand has like a world-renowned like like special operation unit and they're known for like always attacking pirate piracies which is funny that you say that because in the next arc when they bring in the the nazis is they try to identify themselves as a thai naval ship mm -hmm. and that they are on like a classified mission when they're trying to recover that um, that painting, which we can talk about that that uh, arc then. Southeast Asia, obviously home to a variety of different like cultures and, and countries and um, like displaced individuals, pirates, etc. The one thing I wasn't expecting when I when I first watched this show, and I think it, there's something interesting about 2000s anime and yeah. its revisitation of Nazi Germany. Which I don't know if it's so much an issue as it is a, a case study of society in the world where there's absolutely a fascination with Nazi Germany on both an admiration when it comes to white nationalism and stuff like that, which we talked about earlier, as well as like, a how did like, how is this, how did this happen? How is it still happening? Like, if we go back to the year 2000s, we're talking about this show. We're talking about Call of Duty, World at War, and all the other Call of Duties that focus itself in Europe. Um, we're talking about uh, Helsing as an example of that. And, and like, there's such a, a grip to the idea that, that Germany never went away. And it didn't. Like, it were, if, we're if we talk about countries like Argentina, where it, it found itself having a large grouping of not like former Nazi soldiers, yeah. like they, they just never went away. And obviously the Nazi flag, like you can see that on the internet being flown by some white nationalists in the United States now, if you want to, one of which yeah. probably entered the, the capital. But like, this is a direct representation of that and, and finding itself into this show in which like they are trying to accumulate power in the underworld and like recover all of their old, like worthwhile holdings, like paintings. And I, it, it's interesting to see that in this setting, especially in somewhere like Southeast Asia, where you would think like with the communist influence and like Japan having the history that it does, they, they wouldn't really be able to find themselves, but they're there. They're there nonetheless. Nonetheless. I mean, yeah, during World War II, you know, Japan and Germany did go into a little alliance. But one of the ideas was that Japan was going to have the sphere of influence within Asia. Yeah. But Nazi Germany wouldn't allow that. If they wanted to get that third right dominated as possible, you, of course, you want to take over the whole world. 
Yeah. Honestly. And you see it with the High Castle, too. It's like that conflict between the Japanese and the Nazi. Yeah, which so is another are, show that we can talk about that revisits the Nazi thing. Basically. And it was just, and it's part of it. was just like, when the Black Lagoon explored that part. And the Nazis, though, were in that show were not even like German Nazis. Just, uh, remember, they were American Nazis. Yeah. And so the idea was that they were hired by the former SS officer who fled to Argentina and was like, okay, I need to retrieve this painting that, you know, a few years ago, I, you know, you know, we just now found out it was in Southeast Asia. I mean, Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hire these Nazi guys who believe in these Nazi ideology, yada, yada. They're American. I don't know why they're getting a bone off on Nazism, but boom. So he hires them and then he hires the Black Lagoon Company because he knew that Dutch, a black man was, <laughs> was the owner of the Black Lagoon Company. And he played a little game of like, maybe, you know, a racial inferior person like Dutch could be a challenge to these, you know, racist things. So that's like one of the few interesting things that I like popped me that shows he hired a black man to go and find his painting for him. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. And so now it just became a conflict between Dutch's company and the, these Nazis. But the one thing that like, you know, caught it to my attention was like, hey, there's this Nazi that's in freaking South America with the financial resource to pay for a expedition to go find a lost Nazi painting. And seemed like nobody questioned that. <laughs> like, where is he getting his resources? But it goes back to a lot of us. I was thinking like, hey, did the Third Reich really die? Sure, it's not as powerful as it used to, but there's a lot of people that still espouse that idea. And there's a lot of ones that escaped and then, you know, managed to get away and even develop their own life and everything like that. But they just escaped. And I think recently there was like a guy that got caught in the United States that was a former uh, prison guard or worked at a concentration camp, a 95-year-old, and he got deported back to Germany. And that's what I was thinking about when I was watching that arc, that Nazi arc, was like, hey, Lord Alfred was a former SS officer. And I'm like, why does nobody want to question that? Like, hey, because if I was Dutch, I'm like, yeah, thanks for hiring me. I, I, I'm, I might kill you, but, you know, Dutch is a businessman. Yeah. At that point, he probably didn't care whatsoever. Yeah. Anything and, like. and it's interesting that you say, like, why does nobody care? Because, like, in the next arc, you go through the Church of Violence. And it's obviously like a bunch of priests, they're not priests, but they're posing as priests on like a mission. But they're, what they're doing is like transporting drugs and weapons all over the place, all over the place, which is why they're called the church of violence. But like the leader of the church of violence is actually a CIA operative. So like what, in what way, why is she not involved in this like Nazi scheme? Like how does, how does that not surface in like the United States's view of what should what should and shouldn't be happening. I think, like I said, a lot of them is just like we understand. Like, hey, there's these small extremist organization and terrorists, but you think to yourself, it's like, are they going to be a hindrance to United States interests? Like you talked about the Church of Violence. Yeah. A lot of part was like a lot of their interest was aligning with the United States interests on this show. Because it's run by CIA. It's it's by the NSA. It's out the book, but it's run by yeah. But but the interest, like the Nazi guys, yeah, sure there was some American guys, and if you are the United States government, you might want to take interest in that. Like, hey, we have a few Nazi guys, and now they're being yeah. funded by some kind of foreign enterprise and things like that. You can answer, but it is not within our interest. So why the hell should we give a big deal about it? Stuff like that. But you got the Church of Violence here, which is run by a CIA operative, which is making all this money, is dealing with all these drugs, and you're like, what the fuck? But they are in good terms with like most of the criminal world. So he's like, huh. oh, well. Well, I was like, at the same time, I'm like, hey, dude, come on. I know we can like give like different perspective of different part of every criminal organization. Because like I said, they're all interconnected somewhat. 
the church of violence is connected to hotel Ma moscow and hotel moscow is connected to black lagoon who was hired by these by lord alfred who's financing neo-nazis across the world so yeah you can make a connection like that but at the same time it's always hard because some people will see those connections and be like meh not interesting it has nothing to do with our country's interests and yeah. centered focus in this few interests like that and then you go to the next arc and it's just like all right we're gonna get into the colombian cartel and like wealthy <laughs> families in south america and and what role like that like FARC plays in it's just like okay so you're getting like a mix of every criminal interest in the last or in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s all in the yeah. same place basically you're getting like that's what i love with the black legend it's like every criminal enterprise that's been that was like popular during the 90s has been mm. like viewed uh, you got the Colombian mafia and then you got FARC and uh, speaking of the characters, one of my weirdest thing about Revy, and I don't think like the new remakes is going to be doing her justice because they'll have to make that a huge part. It's like Revy is so problematic. She's like really problematic. Yeah. One of my favorite things is like when, remember an episode where she was like basically using racial terms against the FARC members? Or, like when yeah. she would like call uh, Rocket Chap. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be really hard. Remake yeah, not that. A, yeah, not exactly something they should remake. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously a... Uh... You know, it's a thing about the early 2000s, too, is like nobody really, I don't want to say nobody cared because obviously people yeah. cared, but like, you know, people don't, people don't use like the, like the F word anymore yeah. when they Not use that all like in 2011 and 20, 2012, which they shouldn't. There's a better way of going about that and keeping the same like character without having to make her racist. Yes, though, just like that. I think her nature of being a sadistic killer without any emotion. Sure, she shows loves and composure uh, at times, but she's also a wild pit bull without allegiance. I think that being her being unproblematic and and political is just was part of our thing. It's kind of hard to, like I say, for our modern day, and I wouldn't say our modern day, it's our times right now to have a character like that. A lot of people want to see a female character like that as well, too. And I I, on, I personally want to see a female character like that, but it's just like, it's hard to sell that to a mainstream society nowadays. I think if you have the proper amount of development mm -hmm. of a character, like especially with the way that she goes in the show and like losing that edginess because of rocks, mm -hmm. like playing off of rocks, like education and like business acumen and stuff like that. Like, I think you can incorporate that into her becoming less and less, or I don't, I don't want to say she's racist because I think she's more, like you're saying, she's more problematic and more of an, like, not to say she's an idiot, but more of like mm -hmm. a, you know, rambunctious fire starter than she is like inherently racist. Yeah. Like Nazis are racist, but like her using those terms, I feel like is less, it feels more childish than it does racist. Yeah. yeah it was more of a, like, honestly say, like, so I I'm, would even say when we were growing up, we were problematic terms were so common amongst our generation. But as we got older, we just like, nope. So I think it was like the way we were raised within that time period, that late nineties, early two thousands to mid thousands. Like a lot of problematic term was coming, was so common amongst her, you know, our language or how we relate with each other. But at the same time, were we inherently racist? Like, no, a lot of us just that's how we were just growing up through that. But a lot of us, you know, gotten older and like decided to change. So I think if they do make a Black Lagoon remake, if they are gonna center within that time period, they're gonna have to address, you know, that that was a common, you know, trope within within those time period. That was a common saying about that. I'm sure, there's gonna be like a lot of articles about this show being problematic. It's yeah. violence and stuff like that. But I'm just like, mm. yeah. But outside of like, 
outside of Revy's use of racial terms, like none of the character, like the mainstream characters have mm. any types of like issues like that. No, nothing whatsoever. Like, I don't know what was wrong with Revy. She just hated FARC members. I think she just yeah. hated you if you were in the FARC. You can explore more as to why she takes a glean, like killing those FARC members. You can show like she's not racist. She's just, like I said, a sadistic like, freaking she's killer. Like, she's just like killing. No, um, no, I'm just doing. Yeah, I but think it's like the same thing. The thing, the FARC thing too, with like Colombian, the Colombian cartel trope too. Yeah. So it's like, all right, you know, uh, everything in the '90s and early 2000s uses the <laughs> Colombian cartel. So it's like, all right, oh, we yeah. get it. They distribute coke. Like, yes, we. Well, I understand. Look, can you blame though? Though, because you got from the Medellin cartel to the gentleman of uh, Cali, it, you, it's not their fault though. This is what dominated basically the 90s um, drug business. Sure, during the 90s, the Mexican uh, cartel was growing significantly. And they were basically that halfway stop between the United States and Colombia. But I think people romanticize Colombian cartels just for that business aspect of it. For Pablo Escobar, he was that Robin Hood slash businessman slash, you know, I'm there for the people. But for the gentleman of Cali, it was like, hey, we're businessmen. we have this multinational organization. So, you know, you guys should like essentially follow our, you know, our platform. Yeah. And so that became for a lot of criminal organizations that wanted to, you know, be legitimate at the same time, knowing that they flourish in the underground. They're like that the Cali cartel was pushing. And so that just became a common trope that the Colombian cartel could be ruthless, but at the same time, they were business orientated. So you couldn't really romanticize, you know, how could you romanticize the Mexican cartel? At times, yeah, you could romanticize the Mexican cartel with that, like Robin Hood individuals and the early Mexican cartels that were kind of given that same trope of the Colombian cartel of being businessmen that came from well-to-do, from well-to-do family to nothing to make being businessmen. But as we know, the United States wrapped up its anti-drug policies throughout the late 90s, early 90s to the late 90s. So it kind of became hard to be a businessman and still be a drug kingpin. That's a fair point. I mean, I think like, I mean, it is, I guess, one of the only anime that does follow that kind of Colombian cartel trope. So there's not much of it outside of this show. So I guess I'll give it a pass. There's a lot of it in American media. Oh yeah, it's still this. I, I, I say American, United States this. media. I think like it's it, it's a dying out trope. Like yeah. if you can't make a, sh- I mean, I understand if you make a show about like Pablo's Escobar or the North Valley cartel or stuff like that, but you can't really do it with our in anything past 2010. You can't do this. You can't do Colombian cartel like no. they used to. Like that trope just becomes old. Yeah, which so gets into say, oh, yeah. our next trope in the next arc. Which is CIA involvement in Islamic terrorist cells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that one was definitely I wanted to get into. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So here's another United like United States media hammered trope is, oh, like a couple of CIA agents, they get involved with terrorist cells. And, and that's what starts the this Islamic group that is, you know, doing these bombings and stuff like that. It's just like, well... I mean, it's it's not really a trope because it happened. Like this is this is like an accuracy thing more so than than it is like a trope. That that arc follows like Rock has important information needs to be rescued again, and and a lot of the time like there was um there was a couple of soldiers in there like 
uh, early or like mid 90 or not mid 90s, mid 1900s with, you know, the growing communist regimes and whatnot, like Japan had its own communist party that tried to do a revolution. Like the United States obviously has had its like communist cells and everything and, and whatnot. So it, like, I understand, I understand it. I mean, that trope is the CIA and like <laughs> trying to destroy a terrorist organization or need that information is going to be a common trope going on for whatever criminal um, yeah. sure you could replace it with the FBI because the FBI even though it's supposed to be a domestic law enforcement that focuses on intel collection in the United States as well as enforce federal enforcement they do have a uh, international uh, unit they actually do have various international offices but usually those type of enterprises are reserved for the CIA because the CIA tend to get to those information first they have more accessible I mean more access to those information compared to the FBI. The FBI will yeah. still have access to that because the FBI works within. The FBI more like works with the, I would say, the legal ways of collecting those information. They'll work with the local government, the local law enforcement, or and stuff like that. While the CIA will try to do more of a out the book intel gathering, human intel gatherings. Yeah. So that's why we keep continue to use the CIA trope is because they're more mysterious than the FBI. The FBI sure would do sometimes like that, but CIA is more mysterious. Like. Because if you get caught as a CIA agent doing those type of stuff, it's life or death situation for you. It's not yeah. like, hey, I mean, I got built, you know, immunity, diplomatic immunity as an FBI agent, or hey, I've been ordered by my government to come investigate this. So that's why that trope is really common. Yeah, which is like, ever present in the show. Oh, it's so significant. Right? Like the amount of time the CIA did something shady in that show, it's like. Maybe the United States like, should stop doing shady shit if it doesn't want shady shit to happen to the United States. It's easier said than done, man. Well, I'm just saying, you know, all I'm saying is if you don't want somebody to interfere in your elections, you should probably stop interfering in everyone else's. Uh, I could not confirm nor deny that we conduct any of these missions or look i'm not asking i'm not asking you as a military member to, to give classified information out even though i i'm pretty sure you, i don't know if you even have any i, know, I don't have any access to any of those information dude i'm just like yeah. a boot lieutenant that's basically didn't even get the boot. in the door yet <laughs> yeah, it's but no it's like it's understandable like that trope is so central to any crime or transit yeah. like sure i want them to use the fbi more in those type of shows because like i said that is the fbi's area of expertise but because the cia has a more mysterious role more mysterious identity yeah. they're going to continue to use the cia don't fire my yeah, man like, he's <laughs> he, he loves his country and he wants to fight for it and he'll, he'll be a good soldier just i'm going to preface that no no go ahead thank you i don't think that's so, it i don't know if the other guy's listening but oh no they're probably gonna have to question me later like hey you gave a lot of operational security away, buddy. Like, did you take your class online on that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I did. I passed it. So obviously, yeah. I understand operational yeah, security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, so yeah. But no, like, I like that arc so funny just because, like I said, during the late, during the 90s as well, too, like, we started seeing terrorist organization become way more criminal in nature. You know? yeah. They're no longer this uh, revolutionary cells that, you know, want to change the world. Sure, it's a central part of their organization, but now they know that in order for them to flourish, they have to dabble into some criminality and uh, yeah. do these backdrop deals and all that. And so, yeah, the Black Lagoon perfectly challenged that and perfectly that. So that's why I was like, sure, you could have the CIA not be part of that trope and maybe the FBI, but you got to know, like, yeah, still but a the CIA, uh, yeah, and that's part of the United States being all over the place. Like, the CIA is always involved in some shit like that. No, 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 no. So they have to be the first people there to know, understand. Like that. 
but it's just a common trope with it. And it was like, no. And where a lot of terrorist organizations during the 90s was like, I need to make money. So what I'm going to do, I'm either going to smuggle human, do kidnapping, drug smuggling, mm-hmm. do all of this, yada, yada, boom. And now you got the CIA at the back door like, hey, there's this new rise in organization that's kind of selling drugs and got our attention. Yeah. You got to keep track of it all. And you have to you be on the inside in order to keep track of it all. Like, I get that part. Don't get me wrong. But like... Yeah. Uh, when they uh, being a part of it and getting involved are two very different things. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think yeah, I think that's what like a lot of people get pissed off at the CIA a lot of times. Like sometimes the CIA would get involved in these things and like would have a head in it, and you, we won't know until like years later in the future. Yeah. Um, sure, Black Lagoon on it. They are trying to make the CIA as mysterious as possible as well. Too, like a lot of times it's like, hey, the CIA hired Black Lagoon handler's job, or somebody else hired. Black Lagoon to give information to the CIA and everything like that. But this has been a common trope in social, I mean, in every mainstream media about the CIA. Yeah. I think like, and we'll talk about that when we get to Greenback Jane um, in the second mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. And like, especially with the first part of the second season too, when it comes to Bella Laika and her business dealings. Yeah. Um, but I, we're going to take a real quick break here uh, for the I- second time before we go into season two. Um, and we'll be right back. Roger. Okay, welcome back. We're getting into season two about Black Lagoon. Obviously, why would I? Why do I even need to say that? I'm not. This isn't a radio podcast. This isn't a radio show. This is a podcast. I am the controller of what exists in this setting. So we were talking about the CIA before. Uh, we're going to get into then what happens in season two. I mentioned Bella like his business dealing, uh, business dealings. Business dealings. <laughs> but yeah, so you meet, so season two starts, you meet, you, all the crime bosses get together. You have the Russian crime family, which is the Hotel Moscow. You have the Triad, which is the Southeast Asian group. Uh, the Colombian cartel, who you just like, you just see in the Italian mafia, which funny enough, uh, we didn't mention this with Benny. The reason he left the United States is because he's wanted by both the FBI and the Italian mafia, and they never get into it. And number two is never. like, the Italian mafia in Florida didn't know that was a didn't think that was a big thing. I I was just under the assumption that it was all like Latin American based um, cartels and like drug or um, crime organizations. But I guess what have you not? Have you never watched The Soprano? I didn't know that was in my. I didn't know that was in Florida. No, they have like a um, one of the boss's son was basically um, I forgot. It was like the last season of Soprano. One of the key players in the war. It's actually mm-hmm. lived in Florida, and he did a lot of business dealing in Florida. Got in it. Florida, like I said, due to tourist uh, marketing as well as hotel and gambling. Yeah, the I, Rus- uh, the Italian mafia basically was there. Well, the Russians are too, but yeah, the Russians. Yeah. Mafia. I do know that crime in Miami or Miami is like a hub for international and national crime. So, There's ne- the military bases are never next to cool places. Like you got to travel like an hour away to go to cool places, and I think yeah. the reason why is because they know like. Let's be honest, the military is full of a lot of amazing, great people mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. willing to die for this country. Yep. But then there's yep. a lot of people that slip into the crowd. There you go. Yeah, you there don't, you go. Yeah, yeah. There's a, don't, you don't have to be in PR mode all the time. I don't know. No, I, don't, like, I can be I can be realist and say, like, yeah, dude, the, the amount of you know, idiots that are gotten through the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the so, first, yeah, uh, so that first arc, it's about the, our two child, child assassins who are coming after all these crime families, but specifically Hotel Moscow, 
which has kind of been like a positive force in the show prior to this arc. And, mm-hmm. and you realize the, the reason that they're hunting Hotel Moscow and Bella Laika individually is like, it's because these two child assassins were part of a sexual exploitation scheme uh, mm-hmm. that features that oh, they're, they're siblings, I should mention, that features mm-hmm. them in a, in a film that was produced and sold by Hotel Moscow to its clientele, uh, yeah. which sucks. I, it's kind of like, I'm a big fan of like criminal shows, but I drive the line. I, I like, I, I don't mind crime in general. Like, you know, if you steal money from people, you know, if you're dealing in drugs, like, I don't really care that much. You know, that's just kind of things that happen. People like to do drugs. People like to gamble. People like to steal money. Yeah. Like it is what it is. Mm-hmm international conflict it's gonna happen i'm not i'm not you know i don't really care like i care but like i don't it it doesn't it doesn't get me it doesn't give me like any personal strife but like child exploitation like this hmm Mm. Hmm. not a not a not a huge fan uh especially when like bella Laika, who is the person that we've talked about before is like help been helping our, our people and they're the ones that have been dealing in this kind of situation. It's just like, all right, well, you suck. You know? I mean, in all aspects, though, like I said, um, a lot of the common trope within this show is it takes. Can you hear that can you, car? Yeah, I can hear that car. Yeah, we're, I'm in <laughs> I the middle of an No, I, I'm in the middle of an apartment complex. <laughs> it's just like, all right, dude, congratulations on your loud ass car. Like, uh, you're I in, live in Miami, dog. You do know you're going to hear No, I understand. Those. I understand I'm in Miami. But I, there is no road. There's no like main road near me. There's no reason to be, you know, showing your dick out to everybody else in, <laughs> in like the middle of a, a apartment complex parking lot. Like fucking relax, guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, yeah, child child exploitation, and I'm not even gonna use the word, but like basically. <laughs> yeah. but no, so the, I mean, I'm not trying to defend it or anything like that. So I understand as to why that part is essential but for an organization like hotel masco that's global and has sphere of influence throughout the uh, world shot unfortunately human smuggling as well as you know uh, definitely child exploitation is going to be a central part to it uh, and i like i said mentioned numerous on numerous occasion a lot of modern day transnational organizations are not just dabbling in this one area of like you know type of criminal or uh, sector they'll work in various other sectors they'll either have an associate that does um that kind of human smuggling and they'll finance them because they know that the return from being associated with that individual is a lot of money yeah well they're doing themselves made sense that hotel masco is part of that i mean i'm not surprised like human smuggling as well, well child trafficking it's a big part of the russian mafia yeah uh, it's a big part of it you could try to like have the show not have that part of it but i think it would not made it as authentic as possible i'm sure this show sometimes like goes out there especially with the church of violence yeah no i mean it's like accurate too in terms of like russian mafia business mm -hmm. dealings but like it doesn't mean i have to i i I have to like it like like, again i really don't like care that much about what Mm -hmm. kind of crime is out there like gambling Mm -hmm. crime like fixing sporting events and whatnot like Mm -hmm. That doesn't, yes, it kills people, but it doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like child exploitation might be the absolute worst form of criminal activity, in my opinion, on the planet. Yeah, it's definitely the worst human activities in the world. And the messed up thing is that it's still so powerful and still uh, so influential. And like I said, like I said, 
as a person that do like the idea of uh, not, I wouldn't say an open border, but more lax immigration policies where people can travel freely. One of the challenges that I believe with those kind of ideas, especially with growing uh, transnationalism, is that criminals are going to also take charge of that. Yeah. Like human smuggling from border in the border in the United States due to coyote runners, it's, it's a booming business. So, of course, this show is going to take, you know, liberty with showing as to why, you know, Hotel Mascot was involved in that. And I'm not surprised about it, but I was at the same time, like, I'm not going to like it. But yeah. If they had not showed it, I've been okay. Yeah, sure. They haven't showed, child, you know, child trafficking and all that. But end of the day, I think, like, it was going to be a big part of that, sh- that show. It was going to be a big part of that. Dad used Hotel Moscow because I personally love Hotel Moscow. But yeah. They were basically our old, like, hey, you're different from everybody else. Yeah. Like, sure, you do the killing and everything, but. I draw the line at child trafficking. Like I can excuse the killing, the racism, yeah. Yeah. the stabbing, drug smuggling, but I draw the line at child trafficking. Yeah, that's that's big. that's really it. Like and, mm-hmm. you know, you do you do what you need to do to make the money, but like when it comes to the one thing, and that's something that's even in One Piece. Like the one thing that I can't get behind in terms of like you got to make your money is like child trafficking, whether it's slavery, whether it's you know sexual exploitation. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just like. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah, so. We already talked about, we touched a little bit on Greenback Jane, that the next arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's centered around counterfeit money. It, I don't really think we need to talk about it too much as, as much just because we already talked about the head of the Church of Violence being a CIA officer, which is the big kicker and all of that. But Benny Benny gets a kiss. So shout out, shout out Benny. <laughs> Uh, hey, no, speaking of uh, the Church of Violence, Edda, yeah. she uses a Glock 17L, which is the gun that I personally carry and stuff like that. Oh. So I fell in love with her just because she carries that gun. And that's a common <laughs> weapon that they use in law enforcement and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I love that gun. Come if you're ready. Like, Rebby, if her. she uses the gun, she will be my wife. She will be my wife. <laughs> but no, even though Ravy calls her like second rate gunman, I think that's like one of the things I said. But it's like, that's what I loved about her. Yeah. And they end up becoming like drinking buddies in this arc. Like it it isn't like they really hate each other that much. They have like a shared interest in life and perspective on like what happens. I think Etta's, I think that's where she becomes like not a villain, but like a, oh, you know, because she's a CIA agent, like they don't really mess with her moving forward, Um, which is like the the next, the biggest arc in the entire show is like the next arc after that. So this is kind of like a calm before the storm arc. Mm -hmm. You know, like the first arc in season two was, you know, about Hotel Moscow and everything, all the issues with that. The next one's like a calm before the storm. Like you kind of get to enjoy this a little bit, which happens a lot in anime. And then the next one is like rocks, rocks development, like final development as a character, which we're not going to talk about the OVAs as much, which is like the the third season technically, because it's about, uh, it's about the cartel again. And I just think it's a little like, I don't think it's a little much because the creator does what the creator wants to do. And I'll give him credit for that. But like, it's, it's like timed weirdly. So I just think like the ending being rocks journey to Japan is probably the best way to finish it. Um, So we'll get, we'll get into that before we have to get done. And then our closing thoughts, our final closing thoughts. Um, So Benny gets his kiss and then they rock and Revy go to Japan um when i first watched the show i remember this being like the favorite part of mine mainly because you get to see Revy and rock just kind of be normal people for like a second 
um, and how like she interacts in that setting, which is kind of funny because she's obviously very displaced in like a cold, like normal people environment, like a festival. I mean, the best part about that is like, you know, like you said, why don't we talk about Revy being just like sadistic killer and everything like that. But every, you know, killer, everybody that's, you know, has a bad history. Um, the reason as to why they did some motives is because some childhood situation or something like that. Yeah. But we get to finally see a little part of Revy that's not this sadistic killer that's going around killing people. And sure, throughout the seasons, we get to see a bit of it. But you finally get to see her at its as a, her human nature. Basically, not I wouldn't say human nature, because even being a killer and stuff like that is part of your human nature. But basically, her being more calm, being something that she wants to, she kind of deep down, she low-key wants to be it. But, you know, she can because she never had that individual who can bring it out in her. Yeah. And and that individual being Rock, mm-hmm. he's he's her Rock. <laughs> but it's okay. It's just like, hey, you know, you found Rock, and that was really corny. Yeah. But I also hate that trope. Is that it's I don't know. Could they do it as friends? Yeah, but sometimes you got to make it seem a little bit more romantic. It's like, hey, it's, yeah. it's a romantic person that makes you not a sadistic killer anymore. If they do make a remake about it, that is probably one part where I'm just like, man, not gonna be a big fan of. But I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, I kind of wish there were more romantic interests. No, I'm more like, hey, you know, you're friends. Thank you mm-hmm. for, you know, stopping me from not being a serial serial killer that goes around shooting people with my. Okay, Sasuke. <laughs> All right. All right. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes yeah. I just, I just like a, I just like a little bit of romance. You know, I mean, what you think Naruto and Sasuke didn't have wasn't romance, you know? Look, all right, I'm not saying <laughs> I I didn't ship Naruto and Sasuke. <laughs> I, I didn't no, say you, you did. Didn't. I didn't ship Which Twitter account Eddie am I talking to? It's <laughs> talking about shipping Naruto and Sasuke. No, it's okay, but like, uh, that's another common trope in anime as well, too. It's like, oh, my either my friend, you know, came and guided me to the right light because yeah. I was this murderous killer that had no friends, anything like that. Which is weird because Revy had Dutch and Benny the whole time. And I'm like, yeah. are you sure they didn't help you get your humanity? I was like, no, that new guy, yeah, he's going to help me. The new guy. From this guy. This guy's it. He's my savior. He's my saving angel <laughs> grace. I don't even have to that's, be a female. That's my that man. It's every anime Besides, character. <laughs> well, speaking of tropes, like they, they encounter that former Yakuza person. And like they get chased down by the Kuriaku, so they're just like, "Oh, you need to join us. We could really use your help." And it's just like every anime has that they were an amazing fighter that we and we need them, but they turned us down, and now they're living their life of like peace type of like badass character, and that ends up happening, and and uh, it never really ends well for that person. Like I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Mace Hughes is a good example of that. Rurouni Kenshin is the exact example of that. Amazing. Like that entire show is about a guy who just doesn't want to do anything but be, live a peaceful life and he gets dragged into all of these conflicts. It is though. I mean, um, within this show, could I, what character is like that? I wouldn't say, wait, Rock is not even closest to that. No, no, Rock no. The it's the Yakuza, it's the Yakuza guy. Yeah, uh, not y- Yoko's boyfriend. Uh, no, Yokio's, Yukio's dad. Dad, okay. He was like, I'm trying to remember that part because that arc was the one that I the only thing I remember from that arc is basically when Yukio committed suicide because you know yeah. Genji got killed by Revy. Yeah, Genji is yeah. a friend of mm-hmm. hers. Um, but yeah, so uh, going back to that, Yukio is it turns out to be the heir. It, it's one of the people that Rock and Revy meet at the festival. Mm-hmm. They turn out to be the heir of the um, of the what of a Yakuza group called like I think the Washima group. Yeah, Washima group. Yeah, and 
they don't want to be there. They want to live a normal or like a normal life. They, you know, they don't want to be the head, but they're dragged into it. So they have to do it anyway, which again is one of those like kind of tropes that happens a lot in like the, Oh, like the person that doesn't want to be there that ends up, you know, getting killed because, because they, they have to, they feel like they are responsible for like this situation and they get dragged into it. But you know, it, it is like, it's a good, it's a good part of it. I, like it happens. It's, it's a tragedy is what the word I was looking for. Like every story in existence has that tragedy. You know, we, we think about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis, the wise, we th- sorry, this is not a star Wars pod. I had to get that in there somewhere. We think about like, in, like any Shakespearean tragedy or, you know, if we do even want to talk about star Wars, like talking about people like Obi-Wan who don't really want to be part of the fight, but are just kind of like, dragged into dragged it. Alone. Um, Luke's yeah. own personal hero's journey. He didn't yeah. really want to be part of it, but he got dragged into it. His family got killed. Mm-hmm. But like, and I think that that's something that they, they, they fit into this whole situation is like rock never wanted to be part of this too. So yeah. he can resonate with Yukio and being dragged into a situation that they don't want to be in, which also helps rock with his own personal development and going from the person that didn't want to be there to the person that like, it's kind of a little bit running the show, which I enjoy seeing that kind of stuff. Like, especially with his like business background and um, his ability to talk to people normally. Like I think yeah. people can like let their guard down for that. And so he slides in facetiously yeah. that way. And I think Rock uses his that business identity and background extensively. And we should have talked about that because uh, I wanted to actually talk about Rock's um, Rock uh, trope of, hey, I was that businessman. I was working that nine to five job or in his case, that Japanese working hours or working long hours yeah. to make life better for yourself as well as bringing honor to your family. Because that is a big part of how he became an alcohol, actually. Um, he failed a college exam. His family thought he wasn't the smartest as other brother who works in the Japanese government. So he became yeah. a low-to-do businessman and alcoholic. But a big part of it was that says he was that, hey, where's my life is going? I'm working this nine to five. I don't think, you know, I'm going through that and all that. And we all been through that situation. We didn't be through with school, to be with jobs. So that is just the common idea of when we started with uh, Rock. By chance, he ended up getting stuck in this whole situation of, you know, almost getting killed by these criminal backgrounds, characters and stuff like that, and being engulfed into it. And that actually tied up to, you know, his relationship with Yukio. Uh, like I said, as I seem to recall from the last season with Yukio, it's like she necessarily didn't want to be part of the criminal organized world, but she had a choice of becoming, you know, a criminal, being part of it. She could have yeah. left anytime she wanted to, she could have done anything like that, but she became part of it and it led to so many new things. And Rock explained that to her with like with his situation. He was never, you know, he didn't really get to choose to be part of it. I mean, he got swallowed into it. And then finally he decided that it was his choice to do it and stuff like that. And the reason he did it is because part of it, he just felt like, you know, he needed something new in his life. And he wanted to be part of something else. Um, and he joined it and stuff like that. There was even times where he thought he may be suffering from Stockholm Syndrome because he's this businessman that's trying to build his life uh, in Japan and everything like that. But he was like, no, but I like being part of this Black Lagoon that you know, now I'm part of and everything like that. And he's always like trying to make an excuse like, oh, they'll kill me if he, I ran away or throughout the season. Like They never showed that kind of idea. They're like, oh, if you run away, you go do whatever. We don't care. But with Rock, it was just like... That's one trophy challenges too. Is the trope of the one character that just was sick of his life and he decided to find a new adventure. And that trope can also be seen in one, on one Punch Man, where like, hey, I was just a regular businessman working this nine to five, then I decided to do one hundred push up, one hundred crunches every day, and now I'm the most powerful superhero in the world. Yeah, and yeah, there's a lot of animes that deal with that situation. 
And I think in our own modern day age, it's like, hey, I'm working these nine to five jobs, these long hours. Is this what my life is all about? I'm sure I'm putting food on the table, paying bills, but am I having fun living life? Am I going to yeah. do this for the next 20 years? And then, you know, expect to have some kind of saving. And the answer for him was no. He ended up no. having to give all that up for, <laughs> no. for this new life that he is yeah. now come full circle and fully embracing. Yeah, that's significantly embracing stuff like that. And then, but for you, Kyoto, it's just like, hey, you're an heir to this, you know, powerful Yakuza clan. And essentially, but she never had the chance to have that conversation with Rocker, like, hey, you don't have to do this. You can run away. Yeah. But it was her action that was like, you know, I don't care for that. I'm just going to essentially do what I have to do. And so she just went full circle, decided to be part of this criminal organization. And at the end, it ended causing her a tragedy. And I guess that you could have lowered that to a lot of, you know, Shakespearean, uh, you know, stories and stuff yeah. like, hey, these guys didn't want it to be part of this never ending cycle of violence or death. And had they been more aware that they had a choice or could have, you know, not been part of it, boom, they could have been free and stuff like that. But they allowed outside influence as well as their ignorance to the situation dictate and they become basically part of the cycle of violence. Yeah. And she ends her life. And I think that brings, I think that like segues that into a, in a perfect closing mm-hmm. thing here is like, you know, between the two of them, like she's a tragedy, but rock is the embodiment of like the world sucks and nothing really matters. So why not just like be a part of what I can be a part of and, and live, like live my life is, is like much or as little as I can. But like you, uh, Yukio has like a clear idea of what they want and they're never going to be able to get that. So it it, it shows that like dynamic or like that dichotomy of one of the two ways that you can take that. And I think like that in and of itself is the embodiment of the show. It's just like, there is so much in this world that we, I don't want to say I take for granted because I mean, we all kind of take for granted because of like our ability to live the lives that like we currently have. But like at the same time, you know, there's, there's so much that happens that we just don't know about. So how, how would we, how do we even think about those things if we don't know about them? And those people there are people out there that live these lives that like mm-hmm. we just will never hear or know or like understand because they they just they technically us they just don't exist i mean a lot of things that we have always told ourselves when it comes to a situation where you're having these excuse my english because it's not the best extensional show crisis or whatever yeah you just like sometimes just think to yourself like hey am i gonna i should take a chance with this situation i'm gonna take a chance and gamble and everything like that but this show kind of does a little delve into like sometimes do you even have the financial security to take these chances do you have the aspiration to take this chance with rock sure he was a businessman and he was getting paid some kind of salary but at the same time too it was just like he just felt like he had nothing some people are would make that sacrifice. Some people would do that, but there's also people like and as that show show the show has made mention of that couldn't take those chances. I forgot what episode it was. It was like one guy thinking himself like what had his life would have been, you know, if he would have taken the chance. And I think yeah. every society is always had that individual, even though it's a society that is completely controlled and you are pre-assigned something you're always going to have that thought to your head. It's like, I want to take a chance. I want to gamble with my life with something different, something like that. I don't know what's out there. A lot of time you hesitate because you're afraid of not having that safety net underneath you. Rock took that gamble of saying like, you know, I'm sure there's not going to be a safety net underneath me, but you only live life once and stuff like that. And he took that gamble. Yukio, she, she, I guess you could say like, yeah, she was deeply influenced by her environment and everything like that. But yeah, 
you could have said like, hey, she could have had a choice as well. We all have a choice, but a lot of time that outside environment really is what stops us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just stops us not from having. Like I can like before I joined the military. Of course, I had a choice to like go and work wherever I wanted to. But then again, I didn't because you know, for one, I probably I don't know what other sector was going to give me the same uh, feeling of serving this country, being you know able to do some kind of good service within this country. But then again, time I was still also being stressed about financial security, yeah. well living security, and everything like that. There's a lot of people that would have that situation where like they want to do something that they desire to do, but they're afraid that you know they don't have the resources to do it because the environment is not there for them. And I think yeah. this show like strongly puts that into perspective. It's just gonna have to hide it behind all the violence and killing and all this stuff. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just the, on a personal note, like, I don't think anybody, anybody, especially for us people that you and I both know that aren't like military sympathizers per se, like a lot of conservatives are. It's like, I don't yeah. think anybody like is out there, like all the guys that I've talked to that, that know you. And I was just like, yeah, I'm recording a, a podcast with Eddie or just like, you know, not like, oh, that, the, that Marine, like, well, I don't like him anymore because he's a Marine. Like nobody blames you for joining, for joining the military, no. No, you know? Like, I think no, I mean, you got to no, cut yourself a little more, more slack than just like, you know, it's not there's so much I had a choice and I wanted to join or I didn't, I didn't have a choice and I had to join the military, but like. No, no. I mean, the funniest thing about that is like, I don't always say is but because, you know, you, you, are, you remember my political leaning and everything like that. Yeah, of course. And one of the misconceptions about people that are liberal or even that is that not even a big misconception is that the assumption is that if you're a conservative, you monopolize patriotism and the military. There's a lot of liberal military veterans and stuff like that, yeah. congresswomen and stuff like that. Like I said, the military is open to anyone of different background. But with me, a lot of people will usually are shocked that, you know, I was joining the military because I'm like I told you, I've always been laid back. I'm not usually like, you know, a big, like, hey, this is my views as well. That Sure, I will share some views sometimes, stuff like that. But a lot of people... I was assumed that I was just more of a passive, laid back person. Little than I, they know I went and became a whole infantry person, enlisted first, even though it was in the reserve. Yeah. And then my aspiration is also to still be a combat uh, arms individual, uh, military officer. And like I said, it goes back to us having our choices. I wanted the best decision to like, you know, serve my country, serve this country because I grew up out. Because I think even though we do have some social issues at times, this is one of the best countries to have that choice of making a big changes and stuff like that. I would love it to be in here compared to anything else. Um, but I wanted to give some more back. One of the old ways I always wanted to do it was actually to also be a diplomat or work for the State Department yeah. to you know, yeah, you, push United States interests. You'd be really good at that. Yeah, but. But then again, uh, I actually hated the political aspect of it is because I understand politics is a lot of talks. And when it comes to the action, it's not, not as much action, <laughs> not as much action. Well, yeah, the military, a lot of talking, not as much action. And as well, the military is a lot of talking to not as much action as most people think we are. But the action, when we do do the action, it's a significant action. And I want to be part of that. And I couldn't be the one person that dictates some kind of interest and then asking someone from somewhere else that I don't know to do the hard job of being in the military, even if from the political, even though the political sector and the military sector work hand in hand with each other. I just felt like, you know, if you're in the military, you were being asked to do the ultimate sacrifice and stuff like that. So I just said that, you know, in order for me to get that better understanding, the military would be the best place for me to serve this country as well, get that. Yeah. That asking to ask somebody to do something that they would never, you know, ask someone to do. That's why I even became an officer now, because now I have the privilege of leading great men and women, and I need to make sure I don't 
ask him to do something that I wouldn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the Black Lagoon, that's what gave me that. Was growing up watching that show is what the idea is that if you're going to be living a life or sometimes, you know, going to be a lot of challenges of doing something uh, most people wouldn't do, you have to take that willing chance. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even, never even think about it that way. But yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do appreciate you doing this. Um, I know you, we, we've been trying to get something like this going for a long time. So uh, it's always, always a pleasure. And mm-hmm. I'm glad we got to talk about Black Lagoon and how, how you got into it. And, you know, obviously our views on politics and, and the world and everything. It's always, always fun. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.